courage isn't just a matter of not being frightened, you know. It's being afraid and listening to the Doctor Who podcast anyway. Welcome, dear listener, to episode 353 of the Doctor Who podcast, a third Doctor special. Yes, it's been a long time since we focused on any particular Doctor, and I have great pleasure in being joined by Brent, who is almost as big a third Doctor fan as me. That is correct. Hello, everybody. (laughs) We seem to have probably a slightly higher quota of third Doctor fans on uh, this show than than many others because I know Phil is incredibly keen on this particular era mm-hmm. as well. So um, it, it's interesting to well, mind you, I, I suppose you get three middle-aged men, you know, <laughs> all pulled <laughs> in the seventies or thereabouts. Um, we're all going to remember this era really well. But um, what's what? What are your memories of, of the Third Doctor? Was it your first Doctor? No, the first one I saw was Tom Baker. I think the first time I saw the Third Doctor was on the Five Doctors, because, like I said, for the first few years I started watching the show, the Tom Baker stories were the only ones that were airing over here. Hmm. Wh- whether they were new or old, they were all out of order most of the time. Uh, and then Peter Davison, and then everyone else in the Five Doctors. But yeah, it wasn't long after that before an occasional Pertwee episode would show up on a Saturday afternoon on PBS. So hmm. that's that's when I first got started. It's funny, isn't it? Um, I, I keep forgetting how different our experiences are just because there's about two and a half thousand miles worth of water in between us. Uh, and uh, I don't think I've ever met or spoken to an American fan who has been able to watch the classic series chronologically mm-hmm. and uh, I, I do forget that at times but uh, of course that's that is and was um, the experience of most Doctor Who fans over in the UK I, I'm not old enough I'm pleased to say to remember any of John Pertwee's stories going out on original broadcast uh, but I, I do have a very clear memory of watching what must have been repeats or perhaps they were videos I, I remember lots of bootleg videos um passing around between doctor who fans uh in the well late 80s early 90s perhaps um where these stories weren't easy to, to get hold of um but i don't think i saw every john pertwee story until they had finished releasing them on vhs i think mm-hmm. i think that's true uh, but um, yeah, so I came to the era a little bit later as well. Well, I wanted to ask you first about the five faces of of Doctor Who when that was a big thing. Mm. What, that was that maybe your first Pertwee? 
It could have been, but I have no memory of it. Um, oh, okay. So I, I, I know what it is, and uh, I, I remember the idea uh, behind it, and I remember they tried to do something similar again, uh, but a lot later on BBC Two in the nineties, and I think they got as far as the third Doctor story, which was the Silurians. And then they gave up because I don't think anyone was watching it, <laughs> but, uh, which was all very sad, really. I do remember watching The Five Doctors uh, when it was transmitted. But um, do, do you recall what your, your first story was? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. But uh, like you said, when they started releasing them on uh, VHS tapes, I started collecting them and they were all out of order. Uh, but I did collect all of them, so it must have been one of the early VHS tapes. So maybe Death to the Daleks, or mm. um, was another Day of the Daleks was one of the first ones. So it, it could have been one of those stories. Something beginning with D, and it had Daleks. Uh, yeah. and it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, season nine has just been released on Blu-ray, and I happen to know that you have a copy, uh-huh. <laughs> and and I know there are a couple of. I, I forget what they call them now. The kind of um, consolidated versions uh, of the story. Oh, omnibus. So, omnibus. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Day of the Daleks definitely features on that. So did did that bring back any memories for you? Yeah, because uh, the first VHS tape uh, of Day of the Daleks was an omnibus version. It wasn't split up. I, I saw that the omnibus was on there, and I watched a bit of it, and I was like, oh, wow, this is this is great. <laughs> and it was horrible editing, though, I have to say, though, because, <laughs> like, where he meets the Dalek in the tunnel, and all of a sudden you hear, Bow! out of nowhere, because they didn't cut that part out. But I, I always find it difficult when you have different versions of the same story, and you have to choose it, because I, I'm not one of these fans, and I know they do exist, um, who can just watch one version of a story all the way through, like the episodic version, perhaps, and then simply just watch the special edition, and then watch the Omnibus edition. That is just not me. I cannot do that. I need to give it, you know, a significant period of time before I can revisit these different edits. And I've never seen an Omnibus uh, edition knowingly or not deliberately. Um, There may well have been a couple uh, in my early VHS days. Um, And I do remember, I can't remember what story it was. It was a Tom Baker story, actually, uh, where... Uh, I put the video in and thought, oh, I'll just watch one episode. That's all there was. There wasn't any end credits. It was an hour and a half later, the longest episode of Doctor Who ever. So it was essentially a film. Um, but uh, but yeah, going going back to <laughs> going back to the third Doctor. Then uh, let let's um, let's ask the, the obvious question. Then um, you've now seen same as me the entire era, probably many years ago. Uh, mm. you, you're very familiar with all of the stories. Do you have a, a particular favourite? Well. Like I said, I, w- I watched all these out of order. I was also in college at the time where all these VHS tapes came out. So I would read Target books on my breaks uh, between classes. And so that's where I experienced uh, ah. Inferno for the first time. And that's my favorite story. <laughs> just, uh, I, I just love that story. I can watch it over and over, uh, even though it's seven parts. It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't seem that long but to me, but... Uh, like it's just fantastically written and performed. If you've never seen it, like to me, the book was a great way to to be introduced to the story and then and then watch it. But I love that love that story. Fascinating. I, I've uh, that's not an uncommon um, story uh, that you hear. Um, but both elements actually that you mentioned um, the fact that um, your first exposure 
to the story was a target book and and secondly that inferno is your favorite story uh, in fact ian uh, went down the pub uh, with with phil not that long ago and um I, I don't know why but they had their recorders with them and they knew i <laughs> we were doing a third doctor special they did a bit of recording and uh spoilers uh listeners but uh phil came out with almost exactly the same story that you've just come out and i happen to know you've not heard that conversation yet so <laughs> not yet not yet inferno is stunning uh, i i do love it but uh, whether or not it's my favorite story of that era i'm well in fact it's not it's not it's it's one that i can watch again and again um but i think stylistically all of those episodes are very similar you know it it kind of feels like a big long story split up into seven chunks whereas a lot of other pertwee stories i feel jump around a little bit you know and they have it certainly um in tone and um you know you take a look at you know, I know it's the very last story, but Planet of the Spiders, for instance. Episode one of Planet of the Spiders is one of my favourite episodes, uh, not stories, episodes, within the Third Doctor era because of the camaraderie and the relationship that you see between the Brigadier and the Third Doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you, you often hear people say the Brigadier descended into buffoonery. Buffoonery is a very common word to to describe the Brigadier. And it's absolute rubbish. I contend that massively. Yes. Um, And it it offends me almost, Brent. (laughs) It almost offends me when I hear it. So um, it's, it's, it's completely misunderstanding the development of that relationship. The Doctor and the Brigadier are friends. And with that friendship... The dependency uh, that the, the Brigadier has on the Doctor increases massively. And so mm-hmm. he doesn't feel as an independent character as he did in Spearhead from Space, where he's setting up units, he's um, he's, he's proactive in many ways. He's, he's got used to the Doctor's presence, he's got used to his expertise. He likes the guy, despite the fact that he drives him around a twist. And uh, I... I I completely reject any allegation of buffoonery. I just, I just love watching that relationship grow. And episode one of Planet of the Spiders, that's what you need to watch if you want to see it in action. Very much so, yeah. Well, we're going to be jumping around this episode. Telly, Big Finish, all manner of different uh, parts of the Third Doctor era are going to be celebrated. And we're going to duck over now to hear... Drew and Michelle review the latest Third Doctor set of stories for Big Finish, and that's the return of Joe Jones. Big Finish with Michelle and Drew from across the Atlantic Ocean. Michelle and Drew, who are from the United States, reviewing Big Finish, sorting out the wheat from the chaff and nonsense, saving you money on the ones that are not so good. They drove him over. This is all about you, Joe Jones, eco-warrior. But why the interest in Joe? It's you! I I I mean, it's you, you! Yes, Joe. It's me, me. It's so hard to say Joe Jones, isn't it? It is. You have to stop and think about it. Well, our strategy today, listeners, this is a Big Finish release that came out in February of this year, 2023. 
And um, we are going to give you some real quick little reviews, many reviews scattered throughout the podcast, like breadcrumbs. And so to start off with, let's give you a little background. What is this all about, Drew? Well, it is the return uh, of Katie Manning to our ears, uh, but not just Katie Manning. So, while admittedly Katie Manning would be enough to get me to listen to any big Finnish audio, uh, we have the Third Doctor. But wait, you might say, certainly uh, the actor who played the Third Doctor is no longer with us. How could you possibly do that? Is it some sort of magic? Is it witchcraft? No! Uh, it's uh, Tim Trelor, uh doing the Third Doctor and doing it pretty well. Once more around the universe, one more big adventure, and back in time for days. <laughs> one of the beauties of this episode or this this release is that Joe gets to come back closer to the current age of Katie Manning, which I think is a very good thing on, on many levels. I, I do think it's a challenge for her, and she admits this now to to reach the higher voice pitches of the of the young Joe Jones. So I like the idea that that the doctor the third doctor comes back much later in her life and so we get to hear Katie Manning kind of sounding like Katie Manning, which is a rare thing because she usually sounds like something or somebody else. <laughs> well, that's true. And it's and it's not something that the the third doctor comes back specifically to find Joe. It's that in in typical companion fashion uh the doctor's doing their own thing and the and the companions and they bump into one another uh it is sort of the joe is continuing to fight the good fight and doing her thing and uh yeah so uh in our very first story supernature by matt fitton uh joe jones is found on the isle of white uh by a friend of hers and it just so happens that she bumps into the doctor there uh, and they investigate um, bird strike. I mean, it's, it's... yeah. This this is this has very strong Alfred Hitchcock vibes. Right. Uh, yeah, this is this is like the birds. Doctor Who does the birds to a to a certain extent, but um, yes, you know, and and I should point out that she is actually traveling with a podcaster who is not presented as a particularly noble. <laughs> character in this there's a little dig at podcasters but it's my living hardly a living 700 subscribers and a rather erratic release schedule but um beyond that yes it is uh you know kind of a a plot taken from from their era in the sense that um, there's this threat to nature. Somebody, human beings, because of their interference, are um, unleashing the power of nature in a negative way. You know, the, the we we with our messing with with nature have gone down the wrong path. So it's a fairly straightforward story, I think, from from that point of view. Each of these stories, by the way, is only two episodes. Yeah, they're quick. They're they're about an hour, just a little over an hour in length, which is nice because. Uh, I my attention span isn't what it used to be, and so being able to listen to three of these in a in, in a day without any kind of uh, audio fatigue, it was really enjoyable. I I got into it. I listened to one and was just like, I'll put on another. All right, I'll put on the next one. Oh, they're gone. Oh well. <laughs> well, I got I got to tell you this one. Um, in terms of my opinion of it, it it's an okay story. It's it, it's a good story. The nicest thing about it is hearing Joe reunite with the Doctor. I didn't think it was a standout story. It's it's not one I would probably return to very frequently. But but you know it was an okay listen. I, I, I will say this: it's fine. Uh, I will also say that towards the end, the cacophony of all the animals at once uh, just got a little frenetic for my tastes. But yeah, it's good. It's not bad. 
(laughs) On that note, (laughs) we'll catch you later in the podcast. So yeah, there's uh, part one of the review. We'll be back with two more parts later on for the other two stories. I have not heard those yet. (laughs) Uh, What did you think of... The return of Joe Jones, James. Oh, well, um, yeah, I have heard it, actually. Um, And I I would say, you know, bearing in mind this is supposed to be a celebration of the third Doctor, I don't want to uh, go into too much negativity, but I did not think the entire set was that strong, I must say. Um, There there are some fantastic Big Finish stories featuring Tim Trelaw's third Doctor. Um, And goodness knows how long that range has been going now. Do you know, it must be about six possibly seven years i'm i'm not yeah. sure um and i would say that the return of joe jones is probably the weakest of the lot um, oh. but um but i know you again share a love of the third doctor on audio actually my favorite uh that i've heard so far i haven't heard all of them but uh it's volume five that has primord by john Ooh. dorney and yeah. uh screams of ghosts by guy adams um, obviously I wanted to hear more about the Prime Wars because <laughs> Inferno. But yeah. uh, there was also the added bonus of having Daisy Ashford, who's Carolyn John's daughter, playing Liz Shaw. She's great. Mm. And John Colshaw as the Brigadier, to me, sounds almost more like the Brigadier than Nick Courtney does because he's... <laughs> I mean, you you close your eyes. Well, you don't have to close your eyes with audio, but you, you just... Those two stories take me right back to that era, especially his voice. He is so good at that. Um, he's he's pretty good at the older Brigadier, but he is spot on on the young Brigadier. I, I couldn't agree more. And I yeah. think this is part of the reason why I love this range so much is that the recastings have been so successful. And uh, I, I can't recall which story it is. I don't think it's primal, but it, but it might be. Um, there is one episode at the beginning where you just have the main protagonists back together again after what is, you know, pretty much the first time in an original story since the 70s. So there's the Doctor, the Brigadier, Liz Shaw, and I believe it might be Sergeant Benson, I can't quite remember, in Bessie. They go on a trip, um, you know, in the traditional way that uh, the Doctor always used to uh, at the beginning of his stories. There was some kind of incident usually on the south coast or somewhere they had to travel to. So they jumped into Be- uh, Bessie and um, Big Finish recreated that uh, in this new story. And, and just listening to the conversation, you know, the Brigadier telling the Doctor to slow down and uh, all, all, all of that, it, it was, you know, it, it's a joy to listen to. And um, I, I I love those uh, stories. But but Primords, I do remember, uh, which is, as you say, it's a sequel, essentially, uh, to uh, Inferno. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it really stands up. I, I very much uh, enjoy that story. Some sort of interference. Completely blew the TARDIS communication circuits. Twice. Great heavens. Hello, Doctor. Doctor, are you in there? Doctor! Doctor! I do wish you'd pay just a little attention, Doctor. Well, I could say the same about you. Uh, Doctor! Liz! Professor Liz Shaw! Good to see you again. You too. I think when uh, they first started doing Third Doctor Stories, a big finish, it it took them a while because they didn't want to recast. So they did a lot of uh, Companion Chronicles, and I'm not a huge fan of those. But Mm. then they got Tim Trelaw, who is, he's great. 
But I think the first couple of sets were basically audiobooks, which I'm also not a big fan of. They weren't full cast. It was but, a um, blend. It was a blend. They did have uh, a small cast. It was very small, uh, but there was narration also. And it, it's funny because you're right. Big Finish have been so sensitive where it comes to launching uh, new ranges uh, where the main actor is no longer with us. And um, mm-hmm. I, I think, um, yeah, Companion Chronicles, I suppose, this was it was deemed to be acceptable uh, where you had other Who alumni providing voices uh, not quite impressions but you know certainly using intonation and uh, you know trying at least to come across as a convincing uh, version of the actor they're um they're, they're voicing and um and, and then with these stories even the cover even the cover of volumes one and two of the full cast third doctor had a silhouette of the third doctor on the cover so yeah. you, you know you didn't actually see the third Doctor, and it's only been the last couple of years that they've just gone gung ho and um, just decided to launch them as they would any other range. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, in story terms, it's worked because uh, the stories are fantastic, and you you always get the debates um, about recasting uh, and so on, which I generally just ignore these days. Um, and uh, it, I, th- I find it fascinating, given you've got uh, you know, like you say, Daisy Ashford reprising her mother's role if that's the right turn of phrase uh but um caroline john was her mother um so that's that's great and of course we've got sadie miller uh playing sarah jane smith who also features in this role so uh in this range so we're able to have third doctor and sarah jane stories again and uh, some of those are brilliant as as, as well so. they are and and she to me she, she doesn't really sound like her mother at all but she captures her essence just perfectly she really gets better uh, i remember i thought exactly the same uh, the first story i heard her on and i thought oh I, I kept on having to remind myself that it was actually sarah jane or supposed to be sarah jane but as 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 she did it more and more, uh, then I, I found her incredibly believable. And uh, yeah. I, I, again, I haven't done the research. I haven't written the, the, the stories down or, or, or the names of them. But the later ones, again, featuring Sarah Jane, really evoke that era in a way mm-hmm. that you'd never think possible, <laughs> really. Big finish with Michelle Andrew from across the Atlantic Ocean. Michelle Andrew Boo from the United States reviewing Big Finish. So they got a week from the top and on some saving you money on the ones that are not so good. For our second story uh, in this trilogy, we have The Conservators by Felicia Barker, uh, which has Joe and the Doctor. It's kind of Joe's first trip in the, the TARDIS in a while, and uh, why not go to the 49th century, where we are dealing with uh, a totalitarian government based on uh, limiting the freedoms of its population for their own safety. And of course, you know... Joe Jones is having none of it. Precinct 4 sting operation has diverged from expectation. Two additional threat vectors are present in operational area without risk profiles. No identities. Assessing surveillance data. I can't promise things won't get risky again. Fighting for peace and justice on Earth. Plenty of danger without a TARDIS. Took a risk going into anything blind. Joe Jones. And I'm the doctor. New risk profiles identified. The Doctor, Joe Jones. Hazard ratings evaluated in 99th percentile. This one 
was a little bit of a difficult listen for me. This society gives everybody a risk assessment, and based on your risk assessment, your personal liberties are curtailed. Anything from being able to drive, if you're uh, considered not to be a safe driver, to, uh, to to many other things. And of course, as soon as Joe and the doctor land, uh, there could not be anyone who would carry a more uh, highly rated risk assessment, perhaps, than, than the doctor and Joe. And so they find themselves right in the thick of things. But the reason I say it was kind of an uncomfortable listen is because it's a fairly lighthearted look at an issue that is just so hot button for us here, at least in the United States. Um, I don't know if it's quite the same in, in Britain as it is here, but the whole debate between personal liberty versus like public safety or personal safety, um, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm at a point yet where I can listen to a kind of lighthearted take on it, <laughs> which doesn't doesn't mean it's bad. Right. It has a latter era Tom Baker uh, dig at the satire of of that sort of like what's going on in the government. And I guess also I should say the the when you've got something like Malcolm Hulk, it, it feels like a Malcolm Hulk story um, where. Yeah, they're definitely taking it from the headlines, and uh, I like this one better than the first one. Um, it mm-hmm. certainly felt like a kind of straightforward Doctor Who story. So they, they arrive on the planet, they cause some trouble, they get embroiled in a situation. Spoilers, they fix the situation-ish, um, <laughs> in, in a way that only the Doctor can. Uh but it was really enjoyable, and you're right, it was very close to home. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. It, it made me think, uh, and I thought it does what science fiction does so, so very well. Um, it kind of distills an issue down to an enjoyable story, but it does give you something to think about. That's The Conservators. We'll catch you for the third one. Well, now we're going to travel down to Aldborn. We're going to go to the Clovenhoof, where uh, Phil and Ian are hanging out at the pub, getting strange looks from people around there, uh, about to do a bit of pole dancing out in the yard. <laughs> but uh, they're going to talk to us a little bit about the third doctor right now. Right, so, Ian, what are your thoughts on the Pertwee era? Is it, is it a particular favourite of yours? Because it's one of mine. It's my favourite era of Doctor Who. I, I Pertwee is my doctor. He was the first one I can remember watching as a, as a three-year-old. It's the Green Death and an introduction of Sarah Jane Smith and, and links and all that kind of stuff. So, I've heard that you're a big fan of the Pertwee era. I love me some Pertwee. It did slightly fall between the cracks for me a little bit because my, my, most of my early fandom came from the books, the Target books. Same here, yeah. And actually, yeah. I don't think you really access the Third Doctor through the books. Reading the Third Doctor on the pages of a Target book is a very different experience to seeing the reality of Venusian karate and yes. then going for it and that theatricality <laughs> that Pertwee brings to the role. And yeah. something that I found over the years of you know going and watching the stories that I'd only read is how different it is. In contrast to, say, the Troughton era, where mm. actually that sort of whimsical hobo character came through on the page was actually quite similar to what's on the screen, and I love him yeah. in both. Pertwee, there's actually, I think, quite a difference between reading him and seeing the reality. Obviously, like Tom Baker, what you're seeing is John Pertwee, because mm. the, the way he dressed, he dressed up that in real... Not quite as, as, as extravagant as that, but yes, he, he did 
dressed rather loudly. He was into his vehicles, his motorbikes, his cars and, and, and things like that. I mean, even like the Hoomobile, which was frankly <laughs> ridiculous. But he had it made. Someone made it for him. It wasn't made for the show. It was for, it was for him and he found a way to get it into the show, which I think is... It speaks volumes about about him, really. I mean, he was totally invested in it. That's what I loved about mm. Pertwee. No matter how ri- ridiculous it was, I mean, say things like um, the Peladon stories with Agador. I mean, it's just the guy in, in a furry suit. But he treats it so seriously yes. um, that you you believe it. You can tell the different ages of Pertwee um, as as he goes through his was it four years that he did, didn't he? Is is how his hair gets bigger. As, as, as each season goes on, so come come his final season, it's, it's a rather extravagant bouffant he's got he's got going on. I'm only jealous because I'm as bored as a cook, so it's uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I just think it was quite um, quite an experimental era of Doctor Who with things like the music and what they were trying to do with CSO. But I, I just love that that era, especially with things like um, the Sea Devils, the score. For the season, which I think was Malcolm Clark. I think um, I love it because it's so different. Mm. I would say actually, it's not just experimental; it's almost revolutionary. Uh, mm. And you know, I'd go right back <clears throat> to Spearhead from Space, which is one of the you know, I mean, it's a little bit different in, in these days of New Who, but back in the older days before the, it came back, Spearhead from Space is one of the stories that I would show to people who weren't particularly familiar with Doctor Who as an intro. Very self-contained little intro to the series and gets you going from first principles. You don't have to have seen anything before. So there was, it was actually a reboot of the series. Yeah. And you know, you've got colour for the first time, you've got the unit story, you've got them actually doing this ongoing through plot line in terms of being trapped on Earth. You've got some new direction on the companions um, I mean, Sarah Jane Smith gets a lot of credit for being sort of, you know, the first modern companion. I'm not actually convinced that she was. I would go back to Liz Shaw, the very first Pertwee companion. Totally agree. Who was totally agree. Very smart, very capable, didn't worship at the Doctor's feet. And, you know, Zoe previously was very, very smart, but mm. equally Zoe draped herself over the TARDIS console in a cat suit, which yeah. Liz Shaw never did that. And this isn't to knock Zoe, but in terms of a genuinely modern take on the companion, I actually think this short was the first. And I think there's a lot of things like that that are being done differently for the first time in the Purple Year, and I think it really is a transformative time in the show. Yeah, I, I totally agree what you say about Liz Shaw, because I think, A, to make her, a, you know, another scientist, and not quite the Doctor's equal, but could really hold her own mm. with him as well. I think she, she is actually one of my favourite companions, of the Doctor, and it's a shame that she only lasted one season because, uh, as you say, she didn't take any any nonsense off off the Doctor, nor the Brigadier either, particularly in Spirit from Space. Mm. Um, it's funny what they did with the Brigadier because you, you watch Spirit from Space and the Brigadier was on trying to convince Liz Shaw of all the aliens and strange things happened on Earth, and as time went on, the Brigadier became less believing of what he was seeing in front of him. Uh, like, like the three doctors for argument's sake it's sort of he couldn't believe all the things he's seen but he couldn't believe that he'd been transported to a different world it looks like Chroma when he looked out the door mm. so maybe having Liz Shaw as a one serious companion was a good thing because Lord knows what would have happened had she continued would have done the same thing with her 
And I think in many ways she was actually a perfect foil to the theatricality and the ego of the third Doctor because he did have a very big ego. And actually having her there puncturing that and not being impressed, not worshipping it, because it's actually a great contrast. I'm not sure it necessarily worked with the audience so well, and I think because you then did see a reversion with Joe Grant, a bit more of a classic companion. Yeah. And it was probably a long time before you got um, that more sort of independent companion again. So I'm not, you know, famously, it's, you know, something for the dad's type element to, to the female companions, particularly in the yeah. Tom Baker era. So maybe it didn't work with the audience, but I think actually, dramatically, she was great. Yeah, I mean, season seven, Perkley's first season, it's my favourite season of Doctor Who, because I think that all the stories are really, really strong. I mean, Inferno is my favourite Doctor Who story, hands down. I know the, the primal creatures, that's just there to scare the kids, but the story itself, the whole thing about the parallel universe and the, the, the dangers of drilling into the Earth's core for a new energy source, it was so well done, and... There's no musical score at all in that story. And it, all you've got is that, that background hum of the machinery or, as the doctor said, it's the earth crying out in pain. Mm. Yeah, it, I think it's a fantastic story. And, yeah, and some of the pretty ones did get... Some of them were silly. Um, I think the, sort of like the Time Mod stuff, which I've, I've recently, um, recently watched. Yeah, the Time Monster itself looks, you know, it looks ridiculous. That little gadget he makes out of corks and wine bottles and coat hangers, yeah, it's it's crazy. But the thing is, though, it, it's Pertwee. He, he, you, you can sort of buy it because it's him. And actually, I mean, you mentioned there about drilling into the earth with Inferno. It's the other thing that I think really comes to the fore in the third Doctor's era is they started really messaging through the show and overtly messaging. I mean, there's yeah. always been an educational component to Doctor Who, and there had yeah. been messages. But they were a little bit more, to my mind, they were a little bit more in the background. You know, yes, the Cybermen were, to, were making a point about, you know, replacement surgeries and transplants. Mm. But it's a pretty subtle point. When you start looking at the Green Death or Inferno uh, or the Mutants, there's a very, very overt message here. They're not hiding it. There's clearly an agenda that they're trying to get across and often in quite a nuanced and intelligent way rather than just whacking you around the head with, with a message as some of the modern era has been known to do. So that again I think is a, a big difference that starts to come through in the Pertwee era. The Green Death, that's the first thing I can remember watching of Doctor Who, or television full stop actually. And that's, that's why Pertwee sort of resonated with me. I just saw this very flamboyant man running around on, on television in a, in a velvet smoking jacket and all these weird and wonderful things and when I sort of started work and I bought myself a, a VHS recorder to put in my bedroom the, I think the, the, the first VHS tape I bought was Day of the Daleks you know because yeah. I, I'd never seen it um, and I'd, I'd never seen Pertwee and, and, and Joe Grant up against the Daleks so okay maybe a little bit disappointing because I'd read, I'd read the Target book yeah. that, that, that was yeah. it's like you it was, that was my window into, into the Pertwee era you know, um, and I think the when I finally saw Terror of the Autons, it didn't live up to the image um, at the end of, of that great big octopus creature with one eye and all that, which you saw it's on the front cover of, of, the, of the book, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, it never really. <laughs> when I saw it on television, oh dear, that it didn't live up to my expectations at all. And you know, when he came back in the Five Doctors, he was fantastic, and that's where I first saw him. It was one of my first stories that I watched as an actual acknowledged fan, rather than just you know 
kid behind the sofa type stuff. And he's brilliant in that. He's only, only time he met the Cybermen as well. And I think he's absolutely great in that story and yeah. really helps drive it forward. And I think the other enduring legacy of the Pertwee era is that it teed up the Baker era, Tom, Tom Baker era. Because obviously the, the, Tom Baker's first season was originally written for John Pertwee. For That's right, Doctor. yeah. I don't think you could have gone for the darker tone that became the signature of a lot of the Baker era if you hadn't gone through some of the more serious stuff that the Pertwee era was throwing up. I think going straight yeah. from Troughton to Baker wouldn't have worked. You, you have right. to go through the evolution of the Pertwee era to go into the Baker. And personally, I love the Tom Baker era, and I think Tom Baker you know, is one of the enduring greats of, of Doctor it, Who. Only yeah. he, he wouldn't have been possible if you hadn't had the transformation that Pertwee was doing first. Yes, that's absolutely right. Now, people have a problem with Pertwee um, <laughs> because they find him arrogant, patronising. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Because I'm watching it, he's sort of like, one of the first things he says to Joe Grant calls her a ham-fisted bun vendor, mm-hmm. which is an awful thing to say about, about someone. It really is. Um, I mean, particularly something so like the demons, I think that's his most patronising he's ever been. The way he treats Joe in that is, is awful. I, I mean, I do agree with those characterizations, and in fact, in a couple of Pertwee reviews I've done in the last couple of years, the Sea Devils and yeah. the Mutants, I called them out on it because there's some sequences in there that are really kind of uncomfortable. Some people like to say, oh, well, he, he was just being ironic and it was just being humorous. I'm not entirely sure I believe that. I think to a certain extent it was of his age, you know, the, the, the way he presented those, he presented himself wasn't that uncommon there are some moments in some of the stories where it does make me feel a bit uncomfortable I mean, yeah it does particularly the, it, it, it verges towards uh, misogyny and yeah it's a bit it's difficult with modern eyes to look at some of that but yeah. equally you know it, it comes into to some for me it comes into the same territory as the wobbly sets of <laughs> yeah you know what looking at it now okay it's a wobbly set yeah but you know what at the time it was great and i'm 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 personally and look past it and enjoy it for what it is um, but I can see why people have some issues with it and yes certainly his character was, was toweringly arrogant and what have you but then so was the first Doctor so you know it's not as if that was a new trait but I think Pertwee did it with a theatricality that you didn't see from William Hartnell and you know obviously yeah. Troughton was a much smaller his style was completely different but yeah Pertwee had the same arrogance as Hartnell but just it's more in your face I just sort of thought, wrap, wrap things up, really. Sort of when it got to his, sort of his final story, Planet of the Spiders. One episode is basically just one big long chase. Mm-hmm. I'm of the opinion this was purely to, to satisfy John Pertwee's uh, love of all things speed, basically, mm-hmm. because you had little uh, was it personalised hovercraft, the Hoomobile. Um, isn't there a gyrocopter in it at some point? There's something ridiculous. It goes from one thing to another with different modes of transport. You, I mean, and of course, Bessie. When it got to his final it sort of series, do you think he sort of because a lot of people said he got he looked tired of the role at that point. He looked like he just wasn't his heart wasn't in it. Would you ever? Could you think you could ever level that at, at Pertwee? I'm not sure he ever got tired of the role. The Pertwee era can be a little bit one note in terms of him being very theatrical, him being very full on, it tending to be a little bit about the gadgets and the chase. You know, they were yeah. trying very hard to be the Avengers. You know, they're, they're the clear piece of... And I mean the old Avengers for any young people watching, not, not Iron Man. Um, <laughs> there is a certain one-note element to that throughout the Pertwee era, and that does start to get a little bit 
you know, there's only so many times you can do the chase and the, the, the him throwing his cape back in the, dramatically in the wind, and yeah. it gets a little bit samey. So I'm not sure that necessarily he got to it, but I think it was probably time to move the format on. And they did, you know, you, you, when you look yeah. into Baker's first season, it's going off in some very different directions, and, uh, and directions that I'm not sure would have suited Pertwee. You know, by, by repute, he was supposed to be, have been the doctor for that season. I struggle to imagine Genesis of the Daleks with John Pertwee. You know, the pathos of the Doctor on the wire saying, do I have the right? Yeah. John Pertwee would absolutely have had the right. He wouldn't have given it a second thought. No, um, no exactly. He would have just done it without asking anybody, would he? So. Yeah, it's not, yeah. it's, you know, so I, 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 I really struggle to see him in that story and in a few of those stories. I think it was a good time for the show to evolve and, and, and for a new Doctor to come along. Yeah, I, I can't see Pertwee doing gothic horror style stories really can't it wasn't him and I think it's the the first the first ever description I read of him which was in the first edition of Doctor Who magazine it was described as James Bond style action yep that was yeah that, that was the thing so whether whether he was Doctor Who's version of Bond or not I think that I think the jury might be out but I think yeah he, he's my doctor and I will you know and if it's ever a time I thought I fancy putting some Doctor Who on he's usually the one I go for The final story of this set is called The Iron Shore. It is very hard not to believe in curses. The doctor likened them to superstition. For me, there's a difference. Superstition is a choice, a habit, which can be broken. A person believing they are cursed moves in a permanent cloud of fear and worry, and these things are catching. They spread to others and change the very fabric of reality. This one starts right off the bat very powerfully with the death of the Doctor. And and that can't be a spoiler because it is literally what the the story (laughs) starts out with. Right, this is by Lizzie Hopley, and um, it does start with In Medio Res, which is how I like to start a story. Uh, and, you know, you, you like, the Doctor is dead. Uh, it is narrated by Joe, so it almost has a kind of film noir-esque quality to it. Once again, mm-hmm. it also sort of feels like that kind of third Doctor series where they go into an area and there is kind of maybe, quote-unquote, an environmental issue. Um, things are not always what they seem. And it gets darker and darker and darker and darker. Yeah, yeah. This one is really spooky. And that's one of my favorite things about it. This is my favorite of the three. Um, and I'm glad that it ended on a, on a really strong one. But it, it's spooky. It's haunting. Um, it is. It's not exactly a ghost story. It's a curse story, a story about being cursed. I love the world building. We, we only get two episodes with these folks. But this industrial world, uh, Mercator where they are mining this special kind of iron and it feels gritty and it all takes place on a dock and particularly a wet dock. The whole atmosphere of it was, was, I thought, very effective for this kind of spooky mystery. I don't want to pigeonhole myself as the guy who really likes audio stories involving water, but I really like audio stories involving water (laughs) uh, because I think it's a really hard thing to sum up and do well and they did, once again, an excellent job with this one. Uh, this was my favorite of the three. Uh, I think this is going to sound like a stretch, but this story, a version of this story, would be a really good final Doctor story. 
televised. I think you could do a version of it. There's, it, it does a thing that I don't really enjoy in Doctor Who in that it ends in a way that is so techno-science babbly that in an audio medium where you don't have visuals to cue you in what's going on, it, it was a little bit tricky. I think it was like going full 10 out of 10 for me right up until the very end. It dropped slightly because it's a little muddied at the end. But <laughs> Well, it's damp. It's very damp. It's boggy. Um, <laughs> but this is a real treat, and this is the one of the three that I would probably personally go back and listen to. I think the second one would be the one that I would recommend to somebody else, maybe even not as a first big finish, but as a good example of it, uh, because it has it feels like a familiar uh, as a, mm-hmm. a Doctor Who story. But this was good. This was a really good one. Um, and there's not a there's a lot of characters, but it does really feel sort of like a forehander. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does have that kind of cloistered ghost story. You're absolutely right. Um, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed the whole set. Uh, I uh, was really, I mean, you had me at Katie Manning. You'll always have me at Katie Manning. Um, and I'm just really glad that the box set did her justice. I really like the premise that an older Joe Jones gets to to meet and interact with her doctor, not not just you know not just one of the newer incarnations, but gets to be back together with her doctor. That that was sweet. If dear listener, you are interested in listening to this, you can find it at bigfinish.com. Uh, the United States price on this is $25, and I found that once tax and fees were added, that came to close to 31 So prices have gone up. In the UK, this is uh, just shy of £17. So take a listen, and meanwhile, we'll let you listen a little bit more to the fellas. I am the doctor. So James, we talked about Inferno earlier. Being my favorite story, Phil's favorite story. What about you? What's your favorite story? Uh, you know, it keeps on changing with a third doctor, and that is a problem. So I thought I'd just give you about four. Is that okay? Sure. <laughs> the one I generally say, the one I generally say, because I love it every time I see it, is Invasion of the Dinosaurs. And there's, oh, yeah. there's, there's all manner of reasons for that. You know, deserted London, dinosaurs. I don't care if they look terrible. Um, and uh, just the whole idea. Uh, the sci-fi premise of, uh, you know, clearing out the planet and starting again. Uh, that kind of stuff appeals to me for some reason, which is probably a bit worrying. Um, but yeah, I, I I love that story. But I think my go-to story, and I've done this recently, I did it when season nine was released, is Day of the Daleks. And uh, we, we spoke about that briefly earlier. And one, it's a four-parter, so it's quite easy just to watch all in one hit, uh, which I very rarely do with the older stories uh, i usually watch one episode a, a week or um you know once every couple of days but day of the daleks i can quite easily watch all in one go love the special edition i think they've done some fantastic things uh with the um special effects and oh, yeah. uh, cgi um and the story is is great as well you know time travel at its core future earth future earth which is something that i again really enjoy as a sci-fi theme and um again it's another little character moment i absolutely love the scenes where the doctor is just sitting down you know on this ghost hunt which also appeals um and is just some working his way through this um senior civil servant's wine cellar and uh and, and eating cheese <laughs> and all manner of things um and the relationship he has with joe there is 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 stunning 
And uh, mm-hmm. I, I forget whether it was Ian or Phil now, but they talked a little about um, the bad relationship between the Doctor and Joe um, in the Demons. Well, I, I think this is this is complete opposite. This this shows them as yeah. as friends. Um, they each other's confidence. They trust each other completely, and it makes the story richer because it's it's so easy to believe. And uh, yeah, just love that story. But um, but I won't go into the detail on the other ones. I will just tell you what they are. I love Frontier in Space, um, you know, soap opera in space. And of course, the master in a Blake 7 outfit, basically. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and Planet of the Spiders for the reasons that we discussed earlier on, along with that one big episode in it, which is nothing more than a chase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, with, with, with very little... Um, dialogue in it really it's just just john pertwee going from train plane and, and various other automobiles <laughs> uh, and a lot of people are down on that episode but oh, I, love I, I love that episode i love it yeah it's uh john pertwee does james bonds and uh I, I don't care whether it's because he wanted to do it <laughs> and it's his final yeah. story um <laughs> or or whether or not it falls out of place just watch the episode in its own right don't watch the other episodes you know just just watch the chase and you, you've got the essence of john pertwee's doctor in 25 minutes there that's true that's true um not, not wanting to be negative but i did want to create a little bit of balance i suppose um what are the stories in this era the telly stories that you enjoy the least i enjoy Pretty much all of them, but I, I know we. I was looking for a least favorite. I would have to go with uh, Monster Peladon. It's to me, it's just too long. It's mostly boring. Uh, a lot of it is a rehash of Curse of Peladon. So I, I, I do like it, but it, it has to be my least favorite of the whole era. It, it does feature on my list as well. Except for some reason, I've written Peladon, then in brackets, Monster of. So I think I've made it much more complicated than it needs to be. But (laughs) (laughs) um, the only thing I like about the Monster of Peladon is the fact that it restores Ice Warriors to villainy status. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, but you're right, it is not even a subtle rehash, is it, of the previous uh, story? Uh, I, I quite like The Curse of Peladon. Um, yeah. I, I think maybe it's because it's original at that point and it's a labyrinth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, um, the the social themes in it as well, which obviously mirrored the minor strikes uh, at the time, uh, which uh, again Ian alludes to uh, the, 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 the social commentary in many of the Third Doctor stories. I, I don't think it really worked. Uh, I, I didn't, um, I mean, it's not that I didn't like it, I just think it fell flat a little bit and it, like you say it just went on it just went on it does it does become quite dull it's not quite the web planet um of, uh, of no. this era <laughs> which i mean it's no. i'd still rather watch monster of Peloton, um over and over than watch the web planet but uh yeah it's um it's a tough story to watch the the other two that i've got on my list um one of which is often derided which is the time monster uh, and i haven't seen that very much I, I think i may have seen it twice and i've just started watching it again off the season nine blu-ray um and it's almost like i'm watching a brand new story because i don't remember much about it at all mm-hmm. and I, i've just seen episode one and i know it gets sillier um but i i really liked it so it might not actually warrant a place on my least favorite stories list uh, but the other one that's on there um, may be a bit of a surprise, um, and I'm, I'm not a fan of the Claws of Axos. 
And uh, that is regarded uh, as a really good story. But again, I saw that um, when the Blu-ray was released a little while back and found it very dull and one note and a bit silly. Yeah, uh, that was also uh, on my list, surprisingly. Mm. It is is a bit dull. On the other hand, it is one of those comfort well episode one is one of those comfort episodes that i just put on like when i'm going to bed i don't know why that is i could probably recite you the entire first episode (laughs) the the only thing about the clause of axos or the only reason really it's got any kind of thrill for me is because i met and interviewed bernard holly uh, a couple of times who played axon man i think he called it uh, but Mm -hmm. basically the chap who got covered in gold paint or the actor got covered in gold paint Bernard uh, who sadly died now a few years ago uh, but used to used to say every time I saw him he still finds bits of gold paint you know 30 years later (laughs) (laughs) you know he just finds it in his hair under his nails and uh, he says it absolutely horrible um, so yeah, it, it, it's interesting for me there, and of course, there's something about Axos. Well, it's Axos is it's Bernard Holly's voice that yeah. um, you know it's uh, it resulted in him getting a whole load of voiceover work, and he reprised his um, role in uh, in a couple of big Finnish sequels, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But his uh, his voice is hypnotic, and I could listen to it all day you know and that, that never changed not even as he got a bit older yeah but uh, but yeah generally speaking I, I i really do enjoy the third doctor era mainly for the stories mainly for the stories there isn't really much else about it i mean i i, I like unit master you know the earth-based stories i like all of the typical things about the third doctor era but it it, it kind of is unique really and and i find it interesting because even today if if there's going to be a hark back or a callback in a modern day story, the chances are it's going to be third Doctor era related. And, you know, and I mean, look at Unit. Unit features so heavily ever since Eccleston's series and mm-hmm. uh, Aliens of London. What was that? Episode four? Bang! Unit back straight right. away. Yeah. Yep. And it's um, it's it just happened again and again. The Brigadier. Some of the more em- emotional scenes um with the 11th doctor the one that sticks in my mind is where he realizes the brigadier has died now i think from a story perspective that was a mistake i didn't see why they had to kill off the brigadier just because nicholas courtney had died i mean yes it was a nice fitting ending i suppose uh to that character's story and i get why they want to do that but i just didn't think it was necessary i like the idea of the brigadier still being around and yeah uh, and and you also have kate stewart that's still around also of course yeah which again he spawned from this era so uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it was a very influential era um i think it's uh, an era that a lot of the people in um, involved with the show over the last 20 years uh really have some affection for and uh i i absolutely Love it, but um, but John Pertwee and Brigadier John Pertwee and Nicholas Courtney, of course, were such characters in their own right as well. And um, I, I don't know whether you've had an opportunity to listen. Uh, you almost certainly haven't. But there's um, there's one particular radio show called An Hour with John Pertwee. Um, mm, oh, yeah. you're nodding. So have have you had a chance to listen to that yet? I heard about the first fifteen minutes, and it is so engaging. It's I didn't I thought it was going to be an interview. And it's not. It's a one-man show. And he's just talking about his different times, his different stories, and it is hilarious. He's just a 
he's a great storyteller. Yeah. Forgive me sitting upon this stool. This is a new gimmick that is used by artists these days. The idea, of course, is to give an impression of relaxation. It is what is known in my profession as the Dave Allen myth. <laughs> if an actor doesn't know what to do with his hands, he has a walking stick. If he doesn't know what to do with his mouth, he has a cigarette. I have a stool. <laughs> now, my name is John Pertwee, which it isn't. Not truly. My real name is Jean de Pertwee de Laillevaux. So John, John Pertwee, and he did this at conventions, and it was just when I went, started going to a couple of conventions in the 90s, and I did see him do this on one occasion, at least one, possibly two, in Birmingham or Coventry or somewhere. And uh, he, he used to get a stall and just put the stall down. He was always wearing a cape of some kind, so he used to settle himself, you know, flap his cape a little bit, settle himself on the stall. <laughs> and he just used to talk. On his own. And he would talk about his life. He'd talk about Doctor Who. And again, that um, that audio that you have still got 45 minutes of uh, to, to, to listen to. Towards the end, it talks about Doctor Who. It's only about 10 minutes, if that. Uh, but uh, he's, he's riveting. He's incredibly funny. Yeah. Uh, and he knows he's funny as well. He's a real raconteur. <laughs> and um, just seeing that and uh, or listening to that audio was, was amazing. And um, another wonderful thing that uh, about these Blu-ray releases is that they're releasing vintage um, footage of conventions, and mm-hmm. one that I've just seen. And I know, Brad, we we texted each other whilst I was watching it, uh, but was just watching uh, a very young Gary Russell. He must have been about fifteen, if that, um, interviewing <laughs> Richard Franklin and Nicholas Courtney in some back room of a pub, and somebody clearly decided to get what must have been a really big video recorder back in those days or the video cameras and 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 Uh. film it it's it's gold it's absolute gold Um, it is and uh, it's nearly an hour or so uh, of of this convention footage and it's just it's just brilliant to watch i know an old lady who swallowed a fly i don't know why she swallowed a fly i guess she'll die so that about wraps it up for this month for 353. Coming up next on 354, we're going to have some news, some updates, a little bit of discussion on the return of Murray Gold, among other things. Yeah, whilst there's pretty much nothing really going on with Doctor Who apart from the filming, just that small thing, we're just getting lots of little bits and pieces released from... Bad Wolf, I suppose. Um, but yeah, the, the marketing has uh, taken a massive change in, in, in the way that it interacts with its fan base. We still don't really know a great deal more about the production of the show than we did in the Chibnall era. But, uh, but the engagement of the fans is something that I'm enjoying very much. And uh, mm-hmm. it'll be good. It'll be good certainly to catch up uh, with Doctor Who, have a bit of a chat about the stuff that's happened that we've not talked about in the DWP. And uh, yeah, so that will that will be forthcoming. I'll say forthcoming because I don't want to commit to when it will be at the moment. So no, neither will I commit to who <laughs> will be on that show. Uh, but that will be out next month. But uh, but Brent, I must say I have thoroughly enjoyed talking about the Third Doctor with you. I've really enjoyed listening to Ian, Phil, Drew, and Michelle's thoughts as well. And uh, I think I am now off to watch episode two of the Time Monster. 
Oh yeah, it's been a blast, and it's it's been great to have everyone on the show on this one episode this time. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's been such a long time. Thank you for tuning in, listeners. We will be back next month. All the best and bye for now. See you next time. That was the Doctor Who Podcast with your hosts, James, Brent, Drew, Michelle, Ian and Phil. You can find us at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for listening and take care. I know an old lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. I guess she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed a spider to catch the fly. But I don't know why she swallowed the fly. I guess she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a bird. Now how absurd to swallow a bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed the fly. I guess she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a cat. Now fancy that, to swallow a cat. She swallowed the cat to catch the bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed a fly. I guess she'll die. Now I know an old lady who swallowed a dog. Now what a hog to swallow a dog. She swallowed the dog to catch the cat. She swallowed the cat to catch the bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly But I don't know why she swallowed the fly I guess she'll die Now I know an old lady who swallowed a horse She's dead, of course <laughs>